the holiday season and soccer. It's nearly impossible to think of one without the other, which is why the good people at Caught Offside have found it within their hearts to bring you a Caught Offside Christmas, second edition. You'll be treated to all of the classics, like this one. The big clubs hover, stars all look to depart. How will Barca recover? PSG stole Messi's heart. Ooh, City got them and sort of they landed Grealish, not Kane. Transfer business, some of it's smart. Cristiano, you say, well, he left Juve. Oh, dear. Inter shed a tear. Lukaku is off to Tucho. Dan Belzer of Music Charts Weekly calls it a work of complete and utter mediocrity. Jane O'Leary of Songs Magazine says, a second edition? Really? Did anyone even ask for this? They sure did, Jane. Why wouldn't you want more holiday feel-goodery like this? Then one foggy derby day, Mashiri came to say, Rafa, with your nose so bright, won't you guide this team tonight? Then how the red half loved him, and they shouted out with glee, Rafa, the blue nose manager, you'll go down in history. Truly heartwarming. But wait, the manager-based holiday magic doesn't stop there. Don't forget about this one. You better go all out. You better really try. You better not black out. I'm telling you why. Javi's laws are coming to town. Javi's laws are coming to town. Javi's laws are coming to town. He sees you when you're drinking. He knows if you are baked. He knows that Barca's clubs are good. But please steer clear for goodness sake. You better steer clear for goodness sake. Oh, you better work out. You better comply. You're about to find out this is one strict guy. Javi's laws are coming to town. Javi's laws are coming to town. Javi's laws are coming to town. Marilyn Gunling of an unknown publication calls it the greatest work of holiday art the world has ever been blessed with. Is her last name an unfortunate giveaway that she happens to be Andrew's mom? Don't worry about it and just enjoy this moving piece of Christmas cheer. Have yourself a greggy little Christmas We're in second place Beat Canada and we are gonna win this race So have yourself a greggy little Christmas now. Ho, 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 ho. 
The holidays simply will not be the same without this 14-disc set. That's right, disc, as in only available in CD form. It might be inconvenient, but it's worth it. It's Caught Offside Christmas, second edition. Order now. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, a festive edition. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, if I was describing us as individuals and as a collective on this podcast, I would say inconvenient but worth it just about sums it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I hope you all enjoyed that very much. A caught offside Christmas, second edition. Um, I mean, who? Whenever you watch those infomercials, you know, late at night or early in the morning and you saw them, you were like, you know. Yeah, I like some of these songs. Yeah, and I need more it was Burl like... Ives in my life. <laughs> but you liked some of the songs, and then you saw it was like six CDs, and it cost minimum $50, <laughs> not including postage and packing. You're like, no, never. Well, I would say this one is worth it. Javi's Laws is what, without doubt my favorite. You know what I found interesting? And this just happened organically. So I, I wrote mine... You wrote yours. There was not really any conversation. We just made sure we weren't using the same songs. But, like, I think every single one we chose, with the exception of the one about um, transfers, they were all about managers. This sport is just manager-dominant. They are the dominant figures in this game. We're drawn to them. Well, I mean, we absolutely are. I was watching Liverpool's... Uh, Christmas video to Alder Hay Hospital because they can't visit this year because of the Omicron variant. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the second year they did it via video. And the joy in the kid's face to see Jurgen Klopp, just like an absolute bona fide celebrity. And I know he's a very charismatic man, but just I, I, I think back to the 1980s, you know, and, and there were charismatic managers, but a lot of them were like, balding tubby curmudgeons you know who looked like office middle managers and you the fans never really never really took to them in the in in this way and they certainly yeah there were some key figures sure but we all know who the key figures were there were layers and layers of just managers underneath who nobody cared about in the way that the modern fan cares about the modern yeah yeah merry christmas now here's neil warnock to berate you for the next 30 minutes (laughs) Enjoy. By the way, I uh, I was feeling a bit sad last night, and oh. um, I had a few minutes to myself, so I dipped into the Warnock documentary uh, again. That is funny. That is good. And he has his own kind of unique charisma, I guess. I mean, of all the things that you've recommended to me, <laughs> it certainly rates the highest from an unintentional comedy standpoint. Absolutely. He's not trying to be funny, really, ever. But he's one of the funniest people I think I've ever witnessed. And the way he talks to them as well, like, you know, he, he told them after the Arsenal game in the cup, whatever you do, get your rest. Don't go out. Don't do go, Don't go drinking. Don't do any of that. Don't do any of that. And then they lose to Plymouth midweek. And after a good performance in the replay with Arsenal, he goes, whatever you do, go have a drink. Go get drunk. Just do whatever you didn't do the first time. <laughs> 
this is the technical advice of Neil Warner. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, well, hey, let's get into it because we've got a lot to get to. As we know, the matches are, well, they're kind of coming fast and furious. Saturday was a little bit strange when I looked at, uh, okay, you know, I, you wake up in the morning and I, I got to set my fantasy roster. So I kind of go in, check and see, okay, what, what do I have to get ready for first? And it's just like one match PPD, match <laughs> PPD, match PPD, one of those after another, after another. There was one game on Saturday, just one. Uh, Arsenal Leeds was was the Saturday game, but it's it still even with that, it still feels like this is the time of year when you at least expect these matches to be coming fast and furious. So we're going to go through a bunch of the big stories from over the weekend as we head into the midweek and some of the EFL Cup fixtures. Uh, we've got a mailbag in the second half of the podcast where JJ has just fallen completely head over heels, obsessed with a scene from the show Pawn Stars. Um, well, so not I- just me. Our listeners, okay. I don't know how many of our listeners sent it to us, and it, it went viral. And um, it's it's funny. It's, again, like you said, unintentionally funny. Yeah, because it's, it's one of those situations of Americans that don't know anything really about soccer talking about it in sort of a mainstream platform. And so right. sometimes that can lead to... Hilarity. Among those of us who do follow this religiously. And uh, by the way... By the way, we as American soccer fans and in the American soccer zeitgeist or whatever you want to call it, we we occupy this space. We're allowed to make fun of these people. Yeah, but right? I also don't want to be exclusive to people who are making an attempt to be interested and then make them. I don't want to be that guy who then makes that guy feel bad because that's nope. what keeps people away. Right. Correct. But we get lots of listeners who say, hey, I don't know much about this or that. And I often respond to them and tell them you should read this or that. And like. I, I don't judge those people, but in this, this is a specific scenario. Though. Okay. This okay. is a little bit more specific, and we'll get into that. Speaking of Christian Pulisic, we're going to talk about him. I, I have a little bit on him and a couple other oh. things U.S. soccer related because um, U.S. soccer handed out some of their end-of-year awards. Like I said, you got a mailbag. But let's get into it, my friend. Uh, and what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with the games, or do you want to start with kind of the most pressing news at hand? If we do the pressing news at hand before we touch the games, I th- I do think there's a fatigue element with the pressing news. Okay. So do we start with the games? Let's, we probably. Let's go into the games, especially yeah. because it wasn't just a normal match day weekend. No, no, JJ. It was a caught offside cup, which of course carries with it all the prestige and honor of that long-standing seven and a half year or so running tournament. Um this was there have been you have dominated this it, it's it's laughable i would almost say that ever since tottenham and liverpool met in the champions league final the caught offside cup has almost been cheapened in some way it'll never mean what it meant that day like when the yankees and red sox played that epic back-to-back years in the alcs and the red sox came back in 04 from 3-0 yeah. 3-0 down like it, it's hard for it to ever get to that level again maybe it will that was one the day. best and worst thing that happened to that red sox yankee rivalry because it could never meet those parameters again it could right. never hit that that those peaks and neither can we andrew because we watched the champions league final in a bar with all our listeners us sat atop a throne <laughs> yeah with our own private tv hovering above everybody because that's that's our opinion of ourselves so every tottenham liverpool game after this is going to be you know a little bit of um bit of an anticlimax. Now, having said that, I don't know how you felt, um, but, you know, for different, as a fan of Tottenham, for different games, I, I've got a different feeling around each one of them. They're they're all unique in that way. Uh, I was 
Maybe it's because you know I just haven't seen them play in weeks because Tottenham have been in COVID protocol and have had multiple matches postponed or canceled altogether. Maybe it's because I'm just excited about Antonio Conte as their manager. I was very, very much up for this one. Extremely excited for this one. And in the end, I would say this match was kind of befitting of that feeling as it played out to be a, a, a thrilling 2-2 draw. Good goals in this one, some really high-level plays, some of the controversies of the season as well. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, I, I would start with, let's, let's, let me start with a statement. Uh-oh. And then let's move into the into the controversies because I don't I don't want to start with the controversies because I don't want it to seem like I think Liverpool were robbed in any way commensurate with chances because I don't think that's the case. I was going to say to you, this was one that Tottenham left on the table, considering the quality of chance they created how good they were in the break, how compact they were in defense, how quiet they kept Mo Salah. I know there's mitigating factors. Klopp did something in selection that I wasn't sure about uh, in playing Tyler Morton in that p- vital pivot role in the center of midfield. And, and, and I thought he could have done something different there. And um, it didn't really work and didn't really say much for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain if he doesn't get in the side in, 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 with, with, the, with the players Liverpool had missing in, in the midfield position. But I would say that Tottenham's chances were really, really good. And before Liverpool sc- scored the equaliser, the amazing Diogo Jota header, Tottenham could have been 3-0 up. Uh, yeah, um, they really could have. I mean, like you said, they, they were lethal on the break. Uh, the goal that they scored, the first goal that they scored, the Harry Kane goal, was brilliantly worked by Harry Winks in midfield to win back possession. Good ball from Davinson Sanchez to Tangi Ndombele, and then an even better ball from Ndombele to Kane, who finished like Harry Kane is is supposed to. And then, yes, they left they left some on the table, which when you're watching your team play against Liverpool, we've all felt this under the Klopp years of Liverpool when when you're playing against them we all know how that feels to leave those chances off the board you like you can't help but think okay it it sucks to not score and it sucks doubly because I know this isn't ending one nil like there are goals that are coming from that team and so for every one of those chances that you leave off the board the Deli Alley one some of that is on Alley some of that is a brilliant save by Allison but I I still think Deli Alley's probably got to do better and, and score a goal there um you know, I'll, the one from Kane to Son when Son uh, got a boot on it and, and pushed it just wide uh, probably should score there as well. However, I will say Joel Matip did as good as he could to try to keep the ball with Harry Kane and, and mm. cut that angle down for as long as he possibly could. Make that as difficult. It was a bad situation for Liverpool no matter what, but Matip, I thought, at least did as well as he could with it. Then in the second half, I mean, the the chance Harry Kane on the corner kick. I mean, two yards out. I know the ball got to his head quicker than he expected, but it's Kane. He's supposed to be the best finisher in, in England and one of the best in Europe. From two yards out in an empty net, I don't care how quickly the ball gets to your head. you got to score. Um, so, you know, Son in, in extra time, a great save from Allison. So, you know, Tottenham, it's not often that anybody plays against Liverpool and wins the XG battle by a sizable margin, but Tottenham did on this day. And I think one of the things that was fun about this game, you know, I just rolled through the Tottenham chances. We'll get to the controversies that went against Liverpool. I think what was fun about this game is that both teams got goals. You both had, both teams got two goals in this game. 
and yet both teams walk away from it probably feeling like they should have had at least one or two or even three more. Both teams felt like they should have won this game. Both teams played well. I think that was what made it such an enthralling game. Yeah, certainly. And, and if I'm a Tottenham fan, I'm really curious about two things. I'm, I, I'm, I'm first of all, I'm curious about if Liverpool have their, you know, Thiago and Henderson in the midfield, if they have more of their solid midfield and, and, and Fabinho, how does this game shape out? How, how does Conte's tactics, uh, which worked extremely well against the Liverpool team that presented itself, how would it work against a full front, a full force of Liverpool team? That's, that's, what I'd be curious about if I'm a Spurs fan. And and also, you know, I'm curious isn't the right word. I, I would be, I, th- I think the quality of chance, I know Alisson did really, really well, albeit, I mean, Sun shouldn't, he should clear the Sun goal easily, the equaliser, easily, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. Uh, but apart from that, I thought he made some, some crucial saves to deny Spurs. But if Spurs score those goals, you know, that is a, I'm curious what happens to Spurs after that because that's a, a landmark win for Conte. Um, yeah. Oh my God. It, it if they really had converted would... all those, if Tottenham, after all these years of not being able to get past Liverpool, if Conte comes in and, and beats them five two, oh, I mean, yeah, that that would be you hang a banner <laughs> after ones like that. Shall we? Um, shall we talk about Paul Tierney? So yeah, I'll roll through my thoughts quickly. I'm sure you'll have more than I will. Yes. Uh, but to be as brief on it as possible, uh, Kane. That's a red card. In real time, I didn't see it. The first replay I saw, I said, oh, my God. That is, that was potentially horrifying. That should have been a red card. The Diego Jota incident, for me, penalty. Um, not brutal, but enough that probably should have been a penalty. The Delhi Alley one, when I saw – the Delhi Alley one is interesting because when I saw it in real time, I thought penalty because Trent Alexander's Arnold Trent Alexander Arnold's hands were on Delhi Alley's back. When I saw it again in the replay, I said, no, not a penalty. Barely even really – he had his hands on him, but he barely did anything to force Alley to the ground. That ball got away from Alley. Alley went down looking for the penalty. Not a penalty. The Mo Salah handball, again, in real time. On the first replay, I thought it was a penalty. Then I – took to Twitter, and I trust everyone that I read on there, and in, the, in what I've read since, it's not a penalty. A year ago might have been. This year, it's not. Uh, and Andy Robertson, red card, he kicked the hell out of a guy in frustration. Uh, it was pretty brutal. I thought it was red. But yeah, Liverpool have a right to be mad about the Kane incident, and definitely uh, the Jota incident. Those two in particular as well. Yeah, I, I think Kane's was, was a complete red um, and and the fact that he argued afterwards about it, I suppose well, everyone does, though. Yeah, no one I, just I says, "I hey, give it to me. Let, let's let's get on with it. I'll, I'll I'll walk." Yeah, what was much worse than Kane's explanation was the um, uh, PGMOLs, <laughs> Professional Referees uh, Association, <sighs> just trying to justify it, like you know, because be- basically what they said was because Robertson was in the air. You know, just see what worries me about an explanation like that is mm. that now they're kind of setting a precedent of it's only mm. a red card if he breaks his leg. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, so let's not let's try to not wait for that to happen. Let's try to yeah. weed it out before it gets to that. Uh, yeah. So that I saw that explanation, and it didn't sit well with me. Jota's is a stonewaller for me. Uh, it's He's winding up to kick, go straight into his back. He can't. He can't have it. No. Um, the, the Salah... People don't know the handball rule, and I don't blame them anymore because it changed at the start of the season. <laughs> right. Uh, but even, I think it was uh, Dermot Gallagher said, 
it couldn't it can't be given as handball because it goes back to Alexander Arnold who knocks it back in and Robertson scores. You look back and even last year that would have been too many touches. But this year, under law, it can't be a handball unless the referee deems it to be deliberate, which I don't think it was. And I, no. I, I don't see anyone out there trying to make the claim that it was deliberate. Now, you saw plenty of Tottenham fans. How is that not a handball in the lead up to the goal? Guys, the, the, the rule has changed. I don't, I don't uh, criticize you for not knowing that, but, but that's not the case yeah. um, anymore. It, it just wouldn't be counted. So I, my, my disappointment really with Tierney was that you've got to, if he's going to go the Robertson red card okay i'll just say it was a red card i don't think it was it was not in the same um zip code of danger as the as the cane tackle but regardless let's say it's a red card he goes to the screen he looks at it okay fine you know how is he not going to the screen for the harry kane one on robertson and again it kind of feeds into what we talked about at the start of the season this light touch regulation and now we're just falling between two stools we're, we're getting decisions wrong. Um, we're not using VAR in some cases because we felt last season that there was an overuse of VAR. Right. Dale, Johnson, Dale Johnson does an excellent tweet uh, of ESPN. Just go and read it about what's happening right now with, with VAR. And one of the things he says is that the Premier League got its head turned in the summer by the kind of light touch regulation in, in Euro 2020. And they've tried to, to apply it here in England and, you know, the let it flow protocol. And it's, it's, it's just a mess now, really. And there's no consistency. And, um, and that's why we are where we are with it. And they have to find a, a happy halfway house where they're calling decisions correctly and letting the game flow, whatever that actually means. Um, but they've, yeah, they've, they've kind of got themselves in a mess again with VAR now for the opposite reason that they that people were upset with VAR in the past. Yeah, the pendulum is swinging now too far the other way. Mm. Uh, eventually, I think we'll settle in and they'll they'll get a hold on this thing. But yeah, right now they're trying to they're they're trying they're almost overcorrecting for just how intrusive VAR was previously. Um, the thing, uh, but, but, but sorry, sorry, Andrew. Just just read the Dale Johnson tweet, guys. Tread, guys. It's very long and involved, and that's why it doesn't work well for for uh, for audio reasons. But do read it because he makes up a, a, a lot of salient points, and it's not just Paul Tierney's a bad ref or Chris Kavanaugh is not a good VAR. It's it's not that. Uh, two things for me before we move on from this specifically, and then I just had a couple final thoughts on Liverpool Tottenham as a whole. But on the controversy front. Um, the the Harry Kane incident, I saw. I'm not saying that this is wrong, but I, I saw this, the narrative out there that they're not red carding the England captain. Oh, uh, there's there's always been an England captain discount. Actually. So there's, it's always been. So may, look, maybe I don't know. Maybe that is a factor in Paul Tierney's head as this is, and even the VAR, whoever. Like maybe this, maybe they're thinking about that. For me, uh, I thought their hesitance to give out the red card was more about when that occurred rather than who it was that did it. Um, or maybe it's Possibly. a, com- maybe it's even a combination of both. But if you're, if the Premier League has kind of handed down this order to these officials before the season of, we're going to try to, we're going to let more go here. Um, and you see, this is a marquee game and already when that occurred, you know, it was Tottenham had already scored, I believe uh, it was, it was a it was a, an, a very enthralling game already at that point even. So now, 
that occurred somewhere around what was it like the 15th minute or so 18th minute somewhere in there so now this referee is kind of in the position of do I want to now end this game this is a good game this is the marquee game of the week if I do this here and it's Liverpool like we're, we all know what's going to happen I'm, I'm ending know, this game here so you can't, I, I think you, you're you right can have, you can have that with a marginal tackle Andrew you can't have it with what was a potential leg breaker and I agree and I think he was wrong. I think that that challenge rose to a level. But I think, you know, we even talked after, it's, it's to varying degrees, but we always, we do see referees in the first 20, maybe even 30 minutes of a game not want to be card happy. We saw, we talked about it after the MLS Cup final, how Armando Villarreal could have probably handed out a couple of yellows in the first 10 minutes of that game. Instead, he gave stern talkings to, warnings. He chose to manage it that way. And I think a lot of referees kind of have that sort of feel in the back of their mind I don't want to be handing out cards left and right in the first 20 minutes of the game that's going to change the way a game is played that foul rose to a level it still should have been read I'm just thinking that maybe that's what's going through Paul Tierney's mind on the whole Paul Tierney Jurgen Klopp afterwards um, talking about I don't know why he doesn't like me well maybe it's because you're one of the great moaners this league or any league has ever seen I mean Klopp's not wrong to be upset about a lot of these calls but to, to wonder why a referee doesn't like him I mean you spend 90 minutes berating these guys like you're you are the whiner in chief of the Premier League don't be surprised when referees don't like you but at any rate aside from that I saw this um, on Twitter from at GED 0407 uh, he said in 20 domestic games this season, Liverpool have been issued with 27 yellow cards and one and one red. 11 of those yellows and the red have been issued in three games by Paul Tierney, uh, which sounds like a lot. And Neil Andrew of the LFC transfer rooms notes that it is. He says over 40 percent of Liverpool's misdemeanors this season have been punished by Tierney in just 15 percent of the games. That's a <laughs> no, lot. That's it eye, is that's eye opening. So I, I get I get it why Klopp is annoyed, why he has specific animus for Paul Tierney, but also, like, if I could just tell Jurgen Klopp, please shut up already? Like, uh, you're whining, it's just, ah, I can't see it anymore. Like, watching what? him go ballistic on a sideline just does something to my brain that, like, elicits this reaction in me where I'm like, ah, enough, you, like, enough of you being this way. But that's that's my own problem to deal with. What's interesting is that the Premier League has announced Jurgen Klopp will not be charged I know. for his I saw comments. That. I saw that. Which is, I mean, if we're talking about fairness, him not being charged, basically questioning the integrity of a referee, is utterly shocking. They're completely cutting. This is this is like how can we punish Paul Tierney without actually punishing Paul Tierney? This is how you do it uh, by not punishing the guy who just spent an hour berating him. And you know me, I mean, I'm coming from a position as a Liverpool supporter, but that is, that is something. I would like to see the aforementioned Neil Warnock get away with that. <laughs> um, do you have anything else on the controversies? Because if not, I have two final thoughts, one on Liverpool and one on Tottenham. No, give me your final thoughts. First with Liverpool, I want to say this. We spent a lot of this season talking about Mo Salah, and rightfully so. He's the best player in the world right now. Um, this game, he was fairly quiet. I'll tell you who wasn't quiet, who we probably need to be talking more about, JJ, Trent Alexander-Arnold is spectacular. He was spectacular two years ago. He took a step back last year. He's still outrageously young. That's going to happen. Hell, Eden Hazard has spent his entire career with year on, year off, year on, year off. And he's an all-time great. Trent Alexander-Arnold, every time he made a pass in this game, it was fantastic. Every time he put a shot on net, it was spot on, just for the sake of Hugo Lloris having a great day. 
He didn't score two goals. Uh, that guy is incredible, and he is back to the level or maybe even above the level of where he was two years ago. He terrified me from minute one of that game all the way up through the end. He is He's sensational, that guy. I gave an audible, loud, and very funny yelp at his volleyed pass to Robertson mm. for the goal, for, the, for Robertson's headed goal. The difficulty levels there. He just, oh, it, it gave me feelings. It gave me those feelings. He's he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's brilliant to the point where it's dull arguing now, and which I used to do myself, arguing about his defensive frailties. Now, whatever frailties he might have in defense, uh, worth it. Totally worth it because he is he is gifted as a passer, as an attacker in general. He's he is fun to watch. And then my one Tottenham note um, is that like it wasn't just nice seeing them play well because uh, that's kind of been sparse at times over the last two, three, four years. Even they they played very well in this game. It was it was fun to see uh, them doing that against a good opponent. But even beyond that, I think it's kind of who played well. Like obviously Kane scoring that goal is is massive because if he gets hot that's that is a game changer uh, for what he can bring. But beyond that, I think we're going to talk a little bit coming up about the COVID situation. We won't go too crazy on it, but it's it's in the news, so we're going to talk about it. And I think looking at that situation, depth is going to rule the day in this league this season. That's going to be the story of the season. If if Liverpool remain in the title race, if Chelsea remain in the title race, City, it's going to be because they have deep squads. Uh, so for Tottenham to play well and for it to be guys like Deli Alley and Harry Winks and Davinson Sanchez and Tangi Ndombele, guys who are not necessarily locked down first team players. Winks and Alley are guys who were kind of in exile. So to see those guys come in and put in a real shift, not just put in a shift, but like borderline man of the match performances from each of them, um, that's important because we know how many games Tottenham have already had postponed. These fixtures for them, especially if they if they beat West Ham, which is going to be tough midweek, but you know if they advance in domestic cup competitions, their fixture list later this season is going to be insane. So to have depth on that squad, which is a thing we weren't sure they had earlier in the season, if those guys can play well, if this manager can get something out of them, that's massive. They'll stay in the battle for top four if they are able to. And if this was just kind of a one-time thing and Ali and Wings kind of recede back to not really being anything special, Tottenham will fade. But the, the depth is going to be what matters most for them, for everyone. Uh, so that was that was particularly encouraging for me to see. Yeah, my final thought is that if, and there are caveats with that Liverpool midfield, you, you could see it. That Liverpool midfield was not the one that we're, we're, we that usually functions at such a high level and, and makes the opposition uh, struggle so much. But if if this is the Conte style where they were excellent and compact and I, I, I thought the passing by both teams was not always of the highest order. It was a bit frenetic. But when Tottenham linked and combined on the break, that was very, very good. And, and it, it was very, very incisive. And if that is what Conte can carry through to the rest of the season... Um, obviously not in Europe anymore because um, you are out of the uh, the Taco Bowl Conference League. But um, yeah, if that's where Tottenham are heading, the weekend's game against Liverpool was very positive. Leeds United and Arsenal. Oh God, four one. It goes to Arsenal. You rarely text me about. No, that's not true. You text me a lot. Well, yeah, I take that back. But 
you rarely text me with this kind of kind astonishment at how poor a team is because you'll always say, well, you know, the the opposition were very very strong or the opposition were very very good or they're just a better team. But you were genuinely perturbed by what you saw at Ellen Road. That first half, the way that sometimes you watch these games, you know, we always reference back to Brazil, Germany, that stretch from like the 20th to the 33rd minute or whatever. Like you go through stretches in games where it's just like every time this team comes forward, they're going to score. It's just like if your leads in that first half, there were stretches of like just I know you want to be direct. I know you want to play a certain way, but like, just pass it back and forth. Kill some clock here. Like, let yeah. this game resettle. Because if Arsenal have possession, they're going to score. That's where it, we're at right now. You say every time Arsenal go forward, they're going to score. It was more like every time Leeds attempt to go forward, Arsenal are going to score because they kept giving the ball away, and it was, it was like one stray pass, which was the case for one of the goals. I can't remember which, but one stray pass in midfield. It is a guaranteed chance for Arsenal. Leeds were so open. The centre-backs were so spread out. The full-backs were so high and, and, and sometimes inverted into the midfield. It was just, you know, you can defend so much. And by defend, I mean defending Bielsa and what he tries to do. But if you're watching that as as a fan and they're, Look, the supporters are still 100% behind him. There is no dissent in the stands. There, there, there doesn't seem to be audible dissent in the stands. No, they were hear. they were full-throated in support in the final yeah. moments of that game. It was I mean it was kind of cool to see, but it was also kind of like a little bit on a little bit odd almost. Yeah. But everything else was was kind of disturbing. And we should note that they have you know, significant injuries and injury problems. And the bench was, they had a 15-year-old on the bench. You know, that you can't discount the problems that they have. Now, someone who did say, not discount them, but said, you know, he's, he was asked before the game, is it fair to ask Leeds to play this considering the, the problems they had with, with getting a team together? And Bielsa said through his translator, no, it, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine. But it's, you know, it's, well, here's the problem, is that because that was kind of my go-to as well in the wake of that was like, well, okay, here's their injury list: Calvin Phillips, Patrick Bamford, Liam Cooper, Rodrigo, Daniel James. Like these are these these are vitally important names for them. The problem is it wasn't just Saturday. Um, they've given up the second most goals and have the worst xG in the league this season. Now you could say, well, yeah, they gave up eleven in their last two games. Okay, fine. Let's say, let's say they had given up five instead of eleven over those last two. They would still be one of only four teams this season to have given up thirty or more goals. Like this wasn't just a we're dealing with a lot of injuries. What do you expect? This is no. kind of who they are right now this season. We said it early in the season when we saw what Manchester United did to them very early on. Um, that you know, at some point, like the surprise that maybe Leeds sprung upon teams last season would dissipate this year, and would they have another gear that they could go to? And up to this point, they don't. They're they're kind of they do what they do. Sometimes it's going to work, um, but if they're found out 
they're, I'm not. I would not pick them to get relegated. I think there are teams beneath them that are just far worse. But if I were them, I would. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I'd be a little bit. I'd be watching what Newcastle does in the January transfer window, because uh, if they're really busy and sign some really big name players, that might worry me a little. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. The the question is not so much do you or do I believe in what's going on. Do the players still believe? in what Bielsa is doing. And if if the last few games or the last run of games wouldn't have rocked them, then, you know, that's a pretty good place to be, I think. Um, Phil Hay in the Athletics said, their trust in Bielsa appears to be safely intact. And most of them feel that, more than anything else, the absence of a settled squad has held them back. I wonder, do the owners share that view? Uh, I, I think... I think they do. I think there's an appreciation for Bielsa. I think even even with what I just said about how this wasn't just a, a one game or two game thing for them, um, you know, I, I do think that they're. You can't just ignore the names that I just mentioned there that are hurt, like Calvin Phillips, Patrick Bamford. These, these are like these are huge pieces of their squad. If these guys come back and they're still struggling in this way, then we'll have a, another conversation. But I mean, I think. I'm not. If you're asking me, would I fire Bielsa? No, no, I, I would not. He's not above it. And by the way, he even said that himself. He said, "I'm not so vain to think that I'm unsackable." Um, but, but, he does, but we're he not. Did, we're not there. No, but we are well over his. Uh, the what would you say? The Bielsa quotient. His allocated time is. I mean, Leeds have got more from Bielsa than yeah. any of his clubs in the last. Probably going back to when he was in Argentina. So they're what? What is this? The third, fourth going into the fourth full season. So yeah, the first season, uh, they nearly went up. The second season they went up. Third season was last season. And the fourth season is this season. So th- three and a half. That's that's a lot for Bielsa. Yeah. Maybe maybe now he 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 said that he wants he wishes to co- to get the opportunity to continue his work to the end of the season. So he obviously doesn't want to go. No no. Um, so we'll just have to watch it, and, and and Leeds fans will have to hope for an uptake in performance and get some bodies back in the field as well. What about the other team in this game, Arsenal? What about Arsenal? Yeah, um, worst start to a season in nearly seventy years, and the captain stripped of the armband, and yet they are in fourth. Andrew, I can't, um, I can't keep up with with the manicness of this club. No, like they they are a perfect reflection of the manicness of Arsenal fan TV. Like the two are just meant for each other. Arsenal Football Club blood. <laughs> yeah, um, like, what the hell? Even recently, I mean, they're fourth now, but like after those losses to United and Everton, which only just happened, it's like up oh, Arteta back on the hot seat, and now they're fourth, and he's like a manager of the year candidate. It's now there, it's crazy. there's games in there's games in hand for both Tottenham and our, uh, Tottenham and Manchester United, which would would change things. But yeah, that sounds good in theory, but you got to win those games. Yeah, and and Arsenal. Like there was times, like Arsenal have won them already. Yeah, there was times where you watched Arsenal at the weekend, and I commented on Odegaard's pass for for one of the goals. The, four, I mean, the fourth goal to Smith oh. Rowe was incredible. One of the yeah, assi- that, that goes into my Rowe. list of assists of the season. I think. Yeah, that that was really really good. And so I'm like, okay, I have to temper my excitement about about how fluid and 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 good Arsenal were with the fact that. 
it was easy to play against this Leeds team. So I did what I often do. I went to the Arse blog. <laughs> this, is, uh, this paragraph sums things up for me, though. Uh, by the end of the first period, we'd had 11 shots on target. On Sky, they kept saying that was the most any team has had since Opta Records began. Oh, my for God. A side which, for a side which has been infamously shot shy, this is a very welcome development. So what we have to do, Andrew, is decode whether this is Arsenal or this is Leeds. And that is such a large statistic I'm wavering towards that it's more the opposition and that I wouldn't be all in on, on Arsenal right now. No, to me, statistics like that, like when you're talking about record setting, like that doesn't happen without both things being true. Like once leads have to be wide open and Arsenal also have to be ruthless. Both of those things have, have to happen simultaneously to get a, to get that many shots in that space of time. I, I credit I credit Arsenal and I also uh, question leads. I think both are true there. Okay, I, that's a fair fair summation. Um, my thing with Arsenal is just this like I, I don't know how this season's going to play out. Like this COVID year, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be crazy and you can't make any predictions right now. But the only thing that I think you know right now in watching Arsenal is that this, this feels, JJ, like the first time in a while where their trajectory is upward. Uh, certainly does. Like certainly does. Their young player, like we always talked about Saka, Smith Rowe, you know, if these guys turn out to be the real deal, then Arsenal are headed in the right direction. We're well, seeing that they're the real deal. Well, from the weekend, like I, I, I like Kieran Tierney anyway, but I thought Tommy Asu was was good. I, I I like him, um, and I thought the arrangement up front of Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, and Lacazette really really worked. So yeah. credit to the manager there. I don't want to be too down on on um, too down on Arsenal. I'm just I'm just nervous because it's rare you see such such openness. In an opposition, well, and uh, yeah, and Arsenal haven't been consistent, so no. we could be you know a week away from three, three straight losses. Like, who knows? All I know is this: they're fourth. They're going to be fourth at Christmas. Do you know what they were one year ago on Christmas Day? Seven, fifteenth. Ooh. All right, that's progress. And if if you're that <laughs> club, that's important. All right. Uh, let's see a couple others quickly now. We'll, mm. let's mention Chelsea. Uh, boy, that was, uh, that was uh, wolves sometimes bring that out in the, in a game, the kind yeah. of like nil nil with, with a combined XG of like one, was it even one combined? It was like 0. <laughs> 0.6 to 0. 0.3, I think. Uh, so that can happen, but Chelsea, have they fallen on some, uh, some worrisome times here? Yeah, a little bit. It seems as if the the organization um, and solidity of last season that brought them so far has kind of uh, ended in a. I don't know. It's a bit. They're not when they when they hammered Juventus in the Champions League. You kind of had that feeling. Oh, they are they are a machine right now, and that machine seems to be creaky and not efficient in the final third and that's that's not what you want considering the wealth of options you have in attack now they were admittedly pretty depleted um against wolves at the weekend but you know there are there are levels to depletion andrew and they still had a you know a front three 
of Mason Mount, uh, Hakim Ziyech, and Christian Pulisic, who was in a kind of unusual position for him as as the top of the 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 pinpoint of the attack. Mm. And they still had a, a midfield of Alonso and um although they're wing backs, they had Kante in the middle and they had Alonso and Reese James providing width and a back three of Rudiger, Silva and Aspilicueta. They still should have done better. Yeah. You know? It's not and the, it's not the worst team I've ever I've ever heard. No, it's not. And one shot one shot on target each. Yeah. Um, not just not great, just just struggling right now. And I suppose what we have to factor in, um, apart from the you know the absentees and 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 the availability of players, which which uh, Thomas Tuchel was he was upset about the game even being played. But what we have to factor in as well that Tuchel is in the job a very short period of time. He's not even the jo- in the job a full year yet, and so it's even more amazing what he did the the instant transformation of the team. Uh, from when Frank Lampard left. So, you know, this is, you can still argue that this is a team in, in progress and a team in development, despite the fact that they're European champions. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, what I'm trying to do is identify, like, have we just set a bar that that is too high for them to consistently reach? Or are they actually struggling? Like, okay, the Wolves is one thing. That was a bad performance. There's no way around that. Um but like uh, you know, Everton that ended one-one. Did you see the XG in that game, JJ? No, I didn't. Three point four seven to zero point five four. Yeah, like three point four seven is a it's a massive number, and that's a massive difference as well. Like, you know, but look, there's look a difference the man- between to me. There's a difference between playing poorly and not finishing chances. Now, like not finishing chances is arguably the most important thing. In this sport, it's kind of what separates the teams that win titles from the ones who almost win titles. Um, but it also doesn't. But like that also doesn't necessarily mean that you're playing poorly to me. Right, but um... like they scored three versus Leeds before that. They scored three versus Zenit before but they that. They didn't. But like it, they didn't struggle against. Um... Like against Manchester United, look what happened. It was a freak mistake by Jorginho. And but if you watch that game, you know they created chances. The the attack was a little bit laboured. I mean, what do we always hear? The hardest thing to get right is is getting your attack functioning in the way that you want it to do. Being organised and 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 solid in in defence and midfield is is easier to do. But to make the cla- the attack click is 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 a tougher and a longer term thing. And maybe. Maybe we just have to accept that Tuchel hasn't had long enough at it to really get it going. Well, here's what I know. I know that we're going to find out very soon whether or not this title race will be the three-team race that we thought or maybe still think it's going to be. Because in early January, Chelsea are going to play Liverpool. And then mid-January, they're going to play Manchester City. So if they're not healthy yet and those go poorly and they lose both of those games, I mean, I know that's still a long way to go before the end of the season, but... That might be that. Now, if they get draws, they stay in it. If they get wins, they might become they might come out of it uh, the favorite. So we'll know by mid January, I think, just what Chelsea are going to be this season. But again, COVID absences make this like it's it's just impossible to predict. Like all, Chelsea may get all their guys back. You know, they're dealing with Lukaku's out. Like they've got a whole host of guys who are important who are out right now. They may all be back, and then who knows? Liverpool might be dealing with you know, any number of marquee names that are out. So like 
You can't predict it. It's just going to be one of those years where, like I said, depth will be king. Um, I know you wanted to mention one note on Manchester City, JJ. Yeah, I, it, I mean, City, comfortable winners. Uh, again, worrying for the rest of the league with the way they've, they're clicking into gear now, or they're already in gear, and how easy it seems to be for them to strangle the opposition. But it was more the absentees from the starting 11, two young Englishmen, um, Foden and Grealish, Andrew. Mm. So I thought, huh. And Guardiola was quite open. He didn't keep this one in-house. He said on Sunday that they were left out of the starting 11. It was not rotation. I decided on this team because they deserve to play today. These guys and not the other ones. At Christmas time, I pay a lot of attention to behavior on and off the pitch. And when off the pitch is not proper, they are not going to play. So we have to be focused all the time because of distractions at Christmas time and everything that happens. You still have to be focused. So we've seen both characters, uh, one on international duty, uh, Phil Foden, and one on uh, during the first lockdown in Jack Grealish, uh, you know, try to get out and about. Uh, shall we put it that way? Maybe not pay attention to what's going on in the world around them in terms of, uh, you know, the current ongoing pandemic. And I was wondering if that's what's happened in this case again. Yeah. So the Telegraph published a picture of, of Grealish and Foden um, reportedly in a nightclub. This was after the city Leeds match. Right. And then word is that their condition when they arrived for a recovery session the next day was not up to snuff, according to Pep. Ooh. Um, so that's how we got to this point. Yeah, I don't know if this is as much sending a message about you know, just not acceptable. We've got too many matches coming up. We can't afford to have important players to this team going out partying during the stretch. Not now. Or if it's about COVID and that, you know, we can't be doing this because I, we cannot have a situation where you bring this into the team. I, I don't, and I'm not, I don't know whether they were drinking or not, but even if they were late to bed, I think that would be a big, um, a big red mark for from someone like Guardiola. I just don't see modern Manchester City as a place that will accommodate the the older values of the uh, partying and drinking culture of English football. So can I, that's something I wanted to ask you. Um, like I think in this country, like for in American sports, it's not unusual for players to go out in season. Not all the time, but like guys right. will be seen like you know in the NBA, like teams come to Miami on a road trip and like they go crazy and then they fly off to the next city like it's not that unusual in soccer in, in the Premier League is it just like is it a thing you don't go you do not party from August to May is that no, kind of the way it is or is this like specific to Christmas because there's so many games now no um players you know players do go out uh in season when they have break and uh, and and times to do it but the this just wouldn't seem like the time add in the 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 variant that is you know blitzing across england at the moment and then add in as well that the drinking culture is drinking in season is what i don't think happens andrew really? anymore not not at the top clubs and That's um interesting yeah, I, I think the drinking culture at the, at, in the Premier League would be 
gone, I would think. Like pretty much er eradicated the Tuesday club, that kind of thing where, where fellas would, or even if they played on a Saturday, then go out Saturday night, drink on Saturday and recover on Sunday. I think that's all, I think that's all gone. It's really the one thing that held me back from a prosperous professional career in that sport, JJ. No, I don't think it is the one thing. Oh. I, I, I actually think if you had been drinking, you may have put in better performances. Oh, you think? Yeah. Oh. Are we talking about your, your basketball career that you just threw no, away? No, soccer. As a professional soccer player. No, no, no. The, the, the fact that you've got, for feet, um, two hams. No, I have a golden right foot, but a problematic left. <laughs> no, both are problematic. You have two big boiled hams for feet, and uh, your first touch is, let's put it this way, troubling. I won't disagree with that, but I'm I'm a James Ward Prowse. I'm a free kick specialist. I'm an assassin, JJ, on free kicks. Um, did you have anything on on the COVID situation? I know that there's a lot that's going on. There was meetings that were held yesterday. It seems yeah. like it seems like the the decision is we're going to forge ahead here. Try oh, yeah. to try to keep up. Um, so so they they've decided not to have a circuit breaker. Um, Despite the, the cancellations at the weekend, they're not going to have um, match week, game week 20 or whatever off. That's not going to happen. And I know Thomas Frank, Jurgen, uh, Brentford and Jurgen Klopp kind of argued that it was it was needed, that they won't have the players. Wait, Klopp complained? <laughs> I'm sorry, good, continue. Andrew. Very good. Um, that's an excellent joke. Your timing was perfect, uh, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Klopp complained. Um, but the Premier League wants games played. Uh, in according to the Evening Standard, where it is safe to do so. And also in that article in the Evening Standard, clubs were told to be ready to play even if they only have 13 players, including the goalkeeper. So the administrators clearly think a break will be too problematic with, with, with European competition and, um, and club co- um, cup competition rather coming the cup competition very soon and then the backlog of games will be too much so we have to forge ahead where it is safe to do so i said this once before during the pandemic earlier in during it um and i'm going to say it again now uh i am not too proud jj every once in a while we're supposed to have opinions we're paid to have them that's why people listen oftentimes i'm not too proud to sometimes say i have no effing clue this is one of those times. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. Okay, cancel games. But, like, where are you going to make them up? And who is to say that when you do get to that point where you're going to make them up, that you won't be dealing with a COVID situation then? Like, how far down are we going to push this ball down the road? Like, you can only go so far. Are you going to extend the season into the summer? So, I don't know. Like, I'm watching it right now here in the U.S. with – the Eagles and Washington in the NFL. They were supposed to play on Sunday. Washington had a COVID outbreak, so again, very much against the Eagles' wishes, the game who the Eagles didn't have any. They had one COVID positive in their camp at the time. Uh, so because of Washington's situation, the game was moved to Tuesday. Well, now here we are on Tuesday, and now the Eagles are dealing with co- a COVID situation in their offensive line room, where at least two of their offensive linemen have been ruled out. So you just did this favor for Washington. What do you now do for the Eagles? They're not moving the game again. So like, keep moving it down the road. But who like how far do you keep going with it? To what end? So I don't know. Like I understand that what Chelsea had 
uh, was a bad situation. What Tottenham were dealing with before, with the matches that they had canceled, all the ones that were postponed on Saturday. Like these are bad situations. But I just, how are you going to make these all up? It's an impossible situation, um, and I don't know what the right answer is. I, I, I don't. Think, there's only bad options. I don't know I, what I, the best one is. I I kind of have to agree with you. Um, they got to try to play them. I don't blame them for taking that tact and and going almost on a case by case basis. They got to try to get these in because yeah, if not now, I, I, when? I don't usually have much sympathy for the sports administrators, but in in this case, I it's it's an impossible thing. And uh, if you do postpone games now, you're robbing Peter to save Paul. Uh, to pay Paul rather, and it's it's just so difficult, and I don't I don't see a clear option despite what the managers are saying, um, and you know, again Klopp upset, Tuchel upset, uh, Thomas Frank upset, but they're to be fair, they they're upset this time of year anyway, as this kind of frenetic game every two days pace uh, is something that's alien to them as. Uh, as managers from from different country it's almost they just like i said depth is going to matter and they're going to have to decide what they really value in terms from a trophy standpoint like if you got to play under 23s in your carabao cup match then then maybe that's that's what you have to do to preserve your squad for a game that you care more about i mean um, in rug in rugby right now um I, I, I was speaking to you about this yesterday. I mean, Leinster were just were supposed to play Montpellier. Um, they had some positive tests within the squad, um, and and uh, couldn't fulfill the fixture. And the uh, EPCR just said, "Okay, sorry, points to Montpellier. On we go." See, I don't love that either. Because oh, I feel but like, I'm, but that, I'm just saying that, that starts to compromise the integrity of your league. I absolutely believe that to be the case, and I'm not. I'm not advocating for that, but I am saying that there is a recognition there, at least by by the European rugby uh, crew, that this is an impossible situation, and we have to get games, in, yeah. and we need to just be decisive on whatever we do. Yeah, yeah. I don't like this situation. W- waking up every weekend pumped for games and then just like not sure which ones are actually going to happen. Believe me, I hate this to the point that I want to cut this segment short. So over. COVID. Oh. I mean, yeah. sat, like, I, I mean, mentally, uh, not my behavior. Like, you know, I just no. Your behavior has been reprehensible <laughs> far nah, before we, we're COVID. Supposed to have a trip later this week and overnight for like our with our kids to like this well, fun kind of like indoor water park. We just canceled it. It sucks. Like this just yeah. sucks. And I've I've had to make a decision. I won't be flying home to Ireland. I think it's. Oh, you're not. No, I don't. Oh think God, here I am complaining about not doing a, an overnight water indoor water park. You're not going to Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> when did you decide that? Um, uh, yesterday I decided. Look, it's you know it's it's absolutely spiking in Ireland. Um, I oh. don't want to run the risk of bringing it um, uh, to my parents. I don't want to be in a situation where I can't really see anyone for fear of getting it and then having a positive test at the airport and then not being able to return the united states for two weeks while i quarantine god knows where um yeah it's just not a i, I weighed it up I, I did all the research and it, it seems as if it's better just to postpone the trip until the new year so uh, uh. and i love christmas but it's um it's not going to be comfortable and it you know this constant fear and and just trying to be responsible as well as much as i possibly can if, if that doesn't sound too poor faced 
Um, oh, I don't like this. I don't like. No. What can I do to help? How how can I make the situation better? Um, I don't know, Andrew, but this podcast is helping. I would say that. Okay, well, that's good. I'll tell you what. Let's let's collect ourselves. Let's take a break. When we come back, I have a couple things I want to mention about uh, U.S. soccer. I know you have a mailbag that you want to get to. So there's oh, still the mailbag. Yeah, there's still some good stuff here. So uh, more more caught offside still to come. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. Uh, JJ, I saw on Netflix, I haven't watched it yet, but there's a movie called The Hand of God, and I saw the the trailer for it, and it seems to be some kind of, it's not a documentary, um, but it seems to be some kind of movie based around Maradona and that goal, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of curious to watch it, but I'm sort of waiting. I, I'm throwing it out there because I'm kind of wondering if our listeners have watched it, and I'm, I'm kind of waiting for them to tell me whether or not it's it's worth it and how you much. Saw it and on how Netflix. much? Yeah, and how much of it like is actually about soccer? Like in the trailer, it's like this family is watching that game and Maradona scores, and like it shows like how crazy they go for it, and then the the grandfather is kind of teaching the child a lesson about like why him scoring with his hand there was almost a noble act and so i'm I'm curious about it but i just i haven't been willing to take the plunge so this is kind of a, a clarion call to our listeners if you've seen it um shoot a tweet or uh please email give us account. a review i yeah. see maradona the hand of god 2007 oh so it's an old it's, it's an older movie it just came on netflix now oh i mean i guess huh oh well then what i'm saying right now is silliness this is an old movie what am i no, what it's not. It's, it's not silliness because, uh, let's see. How does next Netflix film The Hand of God link to Maradona? Paolo Sorrentino's new film. Oh, it's new. Oh, so it is. All right. So there's another, but there's another one on Prime, I guess. I'm talking about Netflix. Okay. All right. Um, I, I, Andrew, I have been We'll see what the people say. Maradona content in the last year. Um, people should watch also uh, Maradona in Sinaloa which is also mm. on Netflix. Okay. I bring it up now of- just because it's that time of year where people take off work. So like you're yeah. more likely to watch stuff now. I watched the, um, the juice world documentary last night on HBO hmm. and I listened to some of his music beforehand and I was kind of enthralled by it. I thought it was really good and, and interesting and different. And, um, then I watched the documentary, which is tremendously sad. Um, but, um, Talk about an epic rise and then, you know, a, a, a tragic demise. Um, but I would I would recommend it, yeah. Uh, let's see. Before we get to the mailbag, just wanted to mention a couple of quickies here. Uh, I saw Christian Pulisic won the U.S. Soccer Male Player of the Year. It is the third time he has won it. He's 23 years old. Obviously had two match winners versus Mexico this year, scored against Real Madrid in a Champions League semifinal. Um, here's your trivia, my friend. Oh, no. So he's won it three times. Right. Uh, three other U.S. men have won this award three times. Okay. You want to give it a go? Uh, yeah. Let's go with Landon Donovan. He's won it four times. That's the most ever. Um, let's go with um, Claudio Reyna. No. What? No. Oh, interesting. Uh, hmm. Who else would be in that kind of? Don't think too hard. Demarcus Beasley. No, no, you're no, no, you're one of them that you're missing is 
Ty Ramos? No, no. You're thinking, <laughs> you're thinking too hard. One of them I is, is a, I might. Go on. Give it to me then. I love you, Dempsey. He's done oh. it three times. Yeah, Clint And then Dempsey. one goalkeeper has also done it three times. Uh, Brad Friedel. No. What? Tim Howard. <laughs> no. Uh, Tony Miola. No. Go, who? Casey Keller. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Pulisic won with 31% of the vote. Matt Turner was second, 21%. And Brendan Aronson was third, 15%. Young player of the year was Ricardo Pepe. Right. 60% of the vote. Domination from him. Eunice Musa was second, 23% of the vote. And Gianluca Buzio was third. Um, two things stood out to me from this. I found it interesting to see Matt Turner finish second with that high of a percentage. I mean, he kind of challenged Pulisic here with that percentage. He did. Uh, because um, this comes in the wake of... of I mean, I don't know how else to phrase it. This is a harsh phrase, but he's kind of just demoted to the to the number two behind Zach Steffen, even though it was kind of also undeserved. He didn't really do anything wrong. Just Steffen was also available, and there we. What this tells me is, from a goalkeeper perspective, which was kind of always like the position of strength, it felt like for U.S. soccer. Um, it kind of tells me that we're getting back to where things were where the U.S. don't have a one and a two. They have multiple mm, ones. Incorrect. Oh, they have multiple twos? <laughs> you th- you think, well, we're getting, I mean, numeric, I mean, selection-wise, yeah, it's hard to know who our number one is. Correct. That's all right. But the standard-wise is not the same. No, I'm not it. saying that we've got Friedel and Keller right now. Right. No, we don't. But we might have Hahnemann and... <laughs> <laughs> careful I, I mean like i've put it this way i don't look at goalkeeper as a position of weakness on multiple fronts and that's good it's a position of indecision uh for the but manager both, but both decisions seem to be good decisions i yeah you've got okay. this thing with stefan let's have, have a d- let's really sit down let's let's get we'll him on the podcast sometime. and you guys I, can talk about your differences yeah i don't i don't think he's as good as people people uh, think he uh, U.S. soccer fans think he is. I, I don't. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying Matt Turner's the second coming either. Uh, but I, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, Stefan doesn't do it. The big problem for me with Stefan is I, I like my goalkeepers to be playing regularly, and he does not. So that's really the crux of it. Uh, and then the other thing here that stood out to me is Gianluca Buzio because we don't, I don't know, for some reason he, we don't talk about him a ton, and by all accounts he has been a Roaring success thus far in Europe at Venezia. Yeah, and but, it's I mean, going to be interesting par- to see what happens next with him. Is he going to challenge to be a first-team player for the U.S. and, and what's oh, his I next move? So. What's his next move beyond Venezia potentially? Well, I think he needs. He's 19 years of age. He needs another season, two seasons, to establish himself uh, further. But like, I mean, he's playing. He is playing very well. Um, the most times I watch him, I, I must be honest, is is when I watch the supercuts that people put out on um, of his play for Venezia, that people put out on Twitter and, and on social media. Mm. Um, it's a fashionable a club in terms of jerseys. I'm not sure it's a fashionable club in terms of of eyeballs. And um, but no, he is he, definitely. Um, but I I would I wouldn't be rushing his next move. Is what I'm trying to say. You know, I actually have a Venezia jersey. Is that a fa- is, yeah? Years ago, this I guess it, you're telling me it's cool now. Uh, oh yeah. So I, I guess before it was cool, a buddy of mine when we were in college, uh, he studied abroad 
in Spain, but he kind of went on like a tour around Europe. And one of the places they went to was Venice. And he knew that I was like a, even then in, in college, I was like an obsessive soccer fan. So he was, he wanted to get me a jersey. So he just got one from Venezia. And uh, I, yeah, I still have it. Yeah, the most famous thing about Venezia is uh, right now, at least, is their their Kappa jersey, which is and their their home and away jersey, which is very um, very fashionable. I mm. quite like them; they're pretty good. I like Kappa jerseys anyway. Uh, the photo shoots they have for them, and their you know American owned uh, social media team that pushes the club very hard. That's that's the big thing about them, really. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, we should say too. I, I wasn't going to go deep on it. But the U.S. did have a friendly against Bosnia Herzegovina, yeah, and and won one nil, a last minute goal, Cole Bassett, props to him. That's got to be a cool feeling, uh, tap in put back. But I mean, still awesome for him. So a nice uh, way to round off the season. Just when you thought your season was over, it's not. You get to play for the men's national team and a uh, and a record setting what seventeenth win in a calendar year. Yeah. Yep. That's right. My my yep. last question for you. So Pulisic won this award. Uh, I, I know it's not solely based on, you know, it's a U.S. soccer award, but it's not solely based on what you do with U.S. soccer. But I still wanted to ask, any hint of an issue of him winning this despite playing just eight of the U.S.'s 22 matches this year? No, because he scored a goal in the Champions League semifinal. Agreed. So I wanted to make sure that you had changes. the right. And almost... Came off the bench and should have scored a ceiling goal against Manchester City. Yeah, I think Thomas Tuchel, I think he's still on the ground uh, <laughs> lamenting that miss. I have to be honest with you, that one would haunt me because that would have been, that would have been, I, the fact that they won I mean, it. they won the, the game. And his parents were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to do it, like that would have been, we would have been talking about that for, for Yeah, years. I mean, he scored in an FA Cup final. Like, yeah, he, no, I'm not, I'm just saying. Mexico I, twice in, in important games. He's He's got an okay catalog. I was just ready to to gently, you know, do a fist bump and yeah, come on, Christian, and then realize it was Chelsea and well, speaking violently, of, violently wretch into a bin. Speaking of him, <laughs> uh, it kind of leads in perfectly to our mailbag, JJ. Yes, it does, Andrew. Um, Caughtoffsidepod at gmail dot com. That is the Gmail. Caughtoffside ESPN Instagram at CEO Soccer Pod. C.O. Soccer Pod, the animals on uh, Reddit have been telling me I, I run that together. So at C.O. Soccer Pod. Mm. Uh, leave a review on iTunes, please. Go to iTunes, leave reviews. You've stopped doing it. It's a disgrace, and you should be ashamed of yourself. We've got to come up with – it's not their fault, okay? It's, yeah, it's, it's our it, fault. We have to come up with another exercise that forces people to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come up with your – do you know what? Post well, your favorite caught offside bingo word because that's a thing that the animals do. Specifically, yeah, they they created bingo charts of things that we do a lot, which yeah. I kind of love. It and is kind of good. I almost sort of want to play along during the show and see like when when we maybe have created a bingo. No, like, I know we just did we just did trivia. That's one of the things on on a, the bingo card. I think you'd be crossing a boundary there. Anyway, okay, uh, a, a video clip of the show Pawn Stars, which is about pawning things. <laughs> went viral on soccer Twitter over the weekend, and many of you want us to talk about it very badly. You're very excited about this. It it was a source of ridicule, we should say, um, for the presenters of Pawn Stars. And uh, for the guy, uh, so basically there's a, there's a guy, Eric, who wants to get rid of, um, he wants to sell his signed Christian Pulisic jersey, which is in a lovely frame. Yeah. Um, it's 
it's crucial to know it's not match worn. It's just a jersey he got with the name printed on the back, uh, you know, Premier League lettering, and it's signed. And he wants to get rid of it. And um, he's a huge Pulisic fan, Andrew. Really, really big, but not big enough, according to this clip. So what do we got here? I have a signed Christian Pulisic jersey, plays for Chelsea FC team in the Premier League. This guy's like the phenom guy, right? He's like the LeBron James of soccer. Definitely. Yeah, that's that's the we'll start with that one. That's fine. He is the LeBron. First of all, your credibility, the LeBron James of soccer. And uh, the response is he's definitely that. So you're heading you're heading down a bad road here. Now, I I feel for the presenters of Pawn Stars. What do they care about soccer? They don't know anything. No. So but these things are heavily produced. So someone should have just said, don't say that. Don't say that. Say he's a very good soccer player. He's one of the. He is the most popular U.S. soccer player. Say something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, the there was a clip here where uh, the the guy who wants to sell his jersey, Eric, is you know he's big enough how much of a soccer fan he is. But um, why is he pawning the jersey? I'm at the pawn shop today to try and sell my signed Christian Pulisic jersey. I'm a huge soccer fan and even more so a Christian Pulisic fan, but I'm looking to sell it to try and upgrade my guitar. I'm hoping to get $1,500 today. (laughs) There's a lot going on there. (laughs) There's a huge amount going on there. I'm a huge Pulisic fan. I've got this piece of, of memorabilia, however you want to rank it, but I prefer to upgrade my guitar. What? Uh, this this world of pawning things, I, I don't know. Like, I have cool sports memorabilia, and, like, that's never been a thought in my head, really, of, like, that I'm going to get rid of my, like, signed Nick Foles Super Bowl picture because I want, like, a better chair in, <laughs> in my living room. Like, right. it's just, I don't, my brain doesn't really think that way. Like, there's no, there's no linkage between the two. Like, that guy walked into a room saw that jersey hanging there and said, my guitar's not good enough. You, you got to go. Yeah, my beloved Christian Pulisic. And by the way, he uh, thinks, like, before we get to the giveaway here of how much they value this thing, I'm just going to say to this guy, like, okay, shoot for the stars, that's fine. But, like, a non-game-worn signed jersey, um, and look, I don't have to tell anyone how much we love Christian Pulisic on this show. Anybody who's been listening for the last six years uh, knows that. Um but like a non-game worn signed jersey, you think you're gonna get fifteen hundred dollars? What are you talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> are you nuts? No, that's bonkers. All right, so should we do the reveal of what they what they value it at? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Okay, is this guy collectible yet? I mean, his age has to be a factor, right? Right, he is collectible, but you have to remember this much: these guys are doing signings constantly, so you know it's something that's pretty common. You could find these online pretty easily. So, uh, if you're asking if it's a rare signature, definitely not. Okay, so what's something like this go for? I'd put the value right at about $400. That's a lot lower than I expected. <laughs> You're factoring in, obviously, mm-hmm. the framing and stuff like that, too. I'm just kind of looking at the autograph itself. Sure. So if the jersey was signed and game more, then you're looking at significant numbers. And I could see something like that, you know, just depending on what match it was or what game or how important, but that's something that's $5,000, $10,000. That's something that a collector would really pay a lot for. So if it was his Champions League That's final, a lot less than I expected. Yeah, he's crestfallen. Didn't expect that to be valued at over $1,000 shy of what he was anticipating. By the way, it cost $400 
to put I've done it to, to put something in a really nice frame could be like <laughs> right 250 so, but 100 no less than 150 to do it and the way he's done it real fancy so you're saying what the Pawn Stars guys are telling him without telling him is that okay we'll give you 3 you know we'll give you 380 for the frame 20 for the the shirt <laughs> the best line is the guy tells him you know uh it's big. It would take up a lot of space on my wall for other things that I could sell, <laughs> which is the ultimate insult. Oh, man. Poor guy. He's going to have to wait another year for that guitar, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, he will have forgotten about uh, Christian Pulisic at this point. Like, oh, don't do that to Eric. Poor Eric. I believe that he cares. That's not fair. I'm not so sure. I would have kept that, especially yeah, after. Actually, you know what? He's 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 in a pawn shop trying to get rid of the thing for a guitar. So yeah. maybe maybe I'm yeah I don't know. Unless he plans to to pen with the guitar this new guitar that costs fifteen hundred to renovate. Unless he plans to write a rock opera called Pulisic live to take on Broadway, that would show me that he really cares. Yeah, that's something suspicious here. So there, I, I've never really watched Pawn Stars. This was kind oh. of like me almost seeing it for the first time. It's on a lot. I always right. see it that it's on, but I've never really gotten into it. But What's your heavily edited, dramatic music, uh, voice-overed show of that, of that nature, not that genre, of that nature that you watch a that, lot? Well, I mean, like the heavily edited music stuff? Like, no, they, they, they're like, I'm talking, I'll give you mine to give you an example. Bar Rescue. Oh, yeah? I will watch loads of that and and uh, Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares. I'm addicted to it. Okay, I've never seen either of those. Although I've heard Bar Rescue is great. Um, yeah, Bar Rescue is good. But I, it's, I mean, I watch a bunch of those shows on like uh, HGTV of like you know flipping houses and uh, who are the, those twin brothers uh, and then the Gaines family in Waco, Texas. Like the Gaineses, they come in and they redo houses. Like I, I enjoy that stuff. I don't know if that is what you're thinking of. But um, yeah, I watch um, some of that, some of those some of those DIY type things. Yeah, um, yeah, that kind of stuff. They they are. By the way, they have a system. They have a formula. Almost the same thing happens almost every time, but you get sucked in anyway. Yeah. So um, so there no, we go. They know what they're doing. They know how to produce these shows. Definitely. Uh, another topic we uh, got multiple requests to discuss was the NPR article on the study that says top flight European soccer games are predictable. Um, now I, I haven't read the study itself. I just read the NPR article. Um, and it's kind of, I thought, wow, this is interesting. It's interesting from the standpoint that I've heard other journalists make this point and use kind of data, league data in a very kind of not, not a full study manner. And they get ripped apart for saying it. Like they, they often get it from Premier League fans. Look at the Premier League, where Leicester City can win a Premier League and call it uncompetitive. That's crazy. Well, that's the exception of the rule. But but go yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, so uh, Taha Yasiri is a computational social scientist at University College Dublin and a soccer fan. Um, and he says the following: I realized that I might be able to use network science and network analysis methods to make predictions about the results of football matches. Yasiri said. So he built a computer model and analyzed nearly 88,000 European soccer matches. He found that, now don't laugh at this one, this kind of makes sense. He found that stronger teams beat their weaker rivals more often as the years went by. Unfathomable. The good teams win with greater frequency than the bad teams? 
No, but there's there's more to add into that. Oh. Football is so exciting, he says, because you know there's always a possibility for the weaker teams to win. But unfortunately, pouring money into the sport and not regulating the wealth or income of the clubs might take that away from the fans. He found that financial inequality among teams also went up over time. So we're talking about time here. He compares it to gentrification, but in sports. Uh, better teams win more games and t- rake in more riches. Then they buy even better players and win more games. And now this seems like all obvious stuff, but yes, I, like the it, it fact really does. that the fact that there is a, you know, it's just the breadth of analysis, Andrew. Like when I say this about the Premier League, and I include my own club Liverpool in this, people get really, you know, upset. They they say that's not true. Look at the look at the variations. City won it, and then we had the back and forth between City and Liverpool. And but if you look at it, like the years of United's dominance, the eighties and the seventies, the years of Liverpool's dominance. Um, and over time, all that has just stratified what we talk about, the top clubs, and they're the only ones that win. I mean, look at Germany. Look at Bayern Munich. And um, just that there's a study that has such a breadth that analyzes that and tells us probably what we need to, we already know, makes it an irrefutable argument. Oh. Yeah, I don't know that I needed a study. Uh, the amount of people that sent it this. to me. Lots of people were interested. Now okay. I'm going to have to click the link and read the study, and you know I hate reading. You? No, I love reading. Yeah, I and, you, and the only thing you love more than reading is telling people how much you love reading. <laughs> that is true. By the way, uh, what are you reading right now? Me? Yeah. You think I'm reading right now? Uh, I haven't read a book in, in probably since the Bruce Arena book. <laughs> Don't say that. We've had other books on, other guests with books. I mean the Wenger book. You're so, you're the worst, absolute worst. Um, it would be remiss of us not to bring this festive edition of Scottish lungs mm. to the caught offside animals. Uh, Celtic claimed their first silverware, silverware, silverware of the Scottish season uh, with a come from behind win over Hibernian at Hampden Park at the weekend. Uh, a double Andrew from Kyogo Furahashi. Um, and here's how his winner sounded no commentary, just lungs. Something different about them. How good did that sound? By the way, the 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 Hibernian opener, the sound was just as loud. Just yeah, those, the... those people are also Scottish. Yeah, I know, I know. It's just incredible. And whatever Hamden Park does to the does to the audio is is something something quite special. Um, on Kyogo, cult hero legend status is quickly falling upon his shoulders. 16 goals, 5 assists in all competitions for Ange Postagoglu Celtic. Um, this is really quick to become an absolute legend at Parkhead. And surely, surely, Andrew, it's already begun a little bit of talk since the weekend, but surely the vultures down south will be circling. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a study that tells us that. You are just a piece of work is that it for the mailbag that's the mailbag andrew wow. brought to a shuddering halt with a piece of sarcasm from you what a what a show one thing i wanted to mention on this show actually before we got out uh i saw this from jonathan tannenwald this is a nice maybe a little early christmas present for people who haven't paid for uh paramount plus uh jonathan tannenwald tweeted last night the time has finally come for cbs to put men's champions league knockout games on the big network six round of 16 games will be there with one hour pregame shows for each broadcast so there you have that 
if uh, so you'll have more Champions League action available to you over regular television. That's good. I hope that's available from all service providers. And, that, uh, um, that is great, though. And that's where it should be. By the way, along those lines, uh, NBCSN is rapidly approaching their final day of operation. Now, it doesn't mean the, the games aren't going to go away. They're moving to USA Network. It's as the just primary. another channel. Right. But, but what it means is uh, no more mornings of me going to NBCSN thinking that there's a game on that has been put on Peacock. And so now I get that, you know, that shudder that runs down your spine, JJ, when you go oh, to yeah. NBCSN and Meekum is on, whatever that show is. I'll turn on NBCSN expecting soccer and it's always uh, cars, uh, yep. Meekum. So yep. uh, like, <laughs> I can't wait to not have that feeling anymore. Like that horror feeling of, ah, Meekum. Damn you. Uh, so there, I, I, I guess now NBC- that there's no Premier League, it's going to be just like Mecom marathons. <laughs> or some kind of racing. Didn't they have racing too? I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, they had some racing. There's rugby. There's other good stuff, but it's just that thing in particular is always on when the Premier League isn't on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And it's just like when I'm expecting a game and I see, and here we got a 27 Chevy on the Mecom platform or whatever it's called i don't even know uh but i just know that's the show and it's just like i've got this horrible negative association with that show by no fault of their own it's just i go there not wanting that and it's always there instead so now it's gonna be a lot of mecham and your premier league is going to be starting january 1st premier league is going to be over on usa are they not shutting the channel altogether oh like, you're yeah you're right so where will mecham go oh, oh no is know. it going to happen on the usa network Oh my God! What if we have a new channel, Ultimate Meekum, <laughs> interspersed with Eric from Pawn Stars, trying to sell things? Yeah, I want to watch. I want to watch the next. I want to watch the next episode of Pawn Stars where Eric turns up with his guitar. <laughs> he's pawning that off. I, I want to pawn my guitar so I can buy a Christian Pulisic jersey. Yo, he's probably a secret genius. Like this probably began with him pawning like a spoon. And, like, by the time the run of this show is over, he's going to have pawned his way up to, like, a multi-million dollar La Jolla mansion. I think you have a high expectations. We're just at the midway point right now of the Pulisic to guitar, guitar to chair, chair to car, car, and so on and so forth until La Jolla mansion. Anyway. Uh, this was fun, my friend. I enjoyed this very much. I hope all of you did out there as well. Uh, yeah, j- like JJ said, get on uh, iTunes. The five star reviews really help the visibility of the podcast. So that would that would be cool of you guys. If that if that is the only gift that you can give us this holiday season, it is more than we could ever ask for. How about that? Um, hey, and and I'm sorry you won't be going to Ireland, but uh, I hope that you still manage to uh, have a lovely holiday season. Maybe uh, we'll try to even safely get together at some point. Yeah, I hope uh, that'd be great. I hope everyone can enjoy the holidays and um, and think of me. Cast a thought for, for old JJ as you eat your turkey. This was fun, man. Happy holidays to everybody out there, to you as well, JJ. To you, I say. Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Happy Christmas. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 